is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Today's episode is a message from the future. Let's say that Mays does this. August 2028, the Olympics, road race, and because she's representing Team USA on home turf, she comes home with the gold medal. Now, I know that's way beyond anybody's like thought process right now. What would you say to her when she gets down off that podium? I honestly don't know, Rob. <laughs> it's a job well done. I honestly cannot tell you what I would say to her. Only God knows. But I would love to see it. would love for it to happen. Like you said, that's a ways down the road. I look forward to that day. That was Mark Winbush, father of today's feature, Mays Winbush, of Team 2020. It's hard to imagine, here in the stormy present, but the future is still out there. The sun will rise tomorrow. The current challenges we face will give way to the combined effort and will of the best and brightest among us. Regrettably, it may take longer than it needs to, but we will triumph. And when we do, we will be stronger for it. Taking a moment to step back and move our respective gazes toward the future offers a moment of hope and perhaps even a bit of nostalgia. It gives us all a vision of easier days when the problems of now have simply melted away. This is one such story. Our Criterium Nation is filled with incredible athletes, with people and teams who have pushed limits and boundaries, shattered expectations, and leave us collectively in awe. It would almost make you believe that no barriers are left to be broken. Enter Mays, a teenager from Southern Maryland, just south of the U.S. Capitol. She is here to remind us that barriers still exist and that she intends to demolish them all. Specifically, she wants to become the first African-American woman to represent Team USA in cycling at the Olympics. And she's targeted the LA Games in 2028 on home turf as her mission. We tell this story in four chapters and with two guests. The first chapter is Washington, D.C. We are the products of more than just our genetics. We are the combined result of that and our communities, families, competitors, and supporters. And Maze's story starts with them. We meet her on her back porch under the summer sun to have her tell us more. Hello, everyone. My name is Maze Wimbush. I'm from Southern Maryland. I race for Team 2020. How old are you? I am 14 years old. Yes, so I race for 2020 or 2020's Devo. A lot of people, if you've listened to other in, in reviews with Maze, you'll know that she has an ambitious goal. So let's get it out of the way right up front. What's your goal? My main goal is to be the first African-American female Olympic cyclist. And I plan on going in 2028 in LA. Why 2028? Why not 2024? Why not right now? Recently, my goal got changed from 2024 Olympics to 2028 because I had a talk with the manager of my team 
she had had a conversation with Kristen Armstrong and Kristen felt like I was going to be too young to be going in at 2024 and I would need to be dominating world races. And let's be realistic. I would be 18 and more than likely I would not be dominating every worldwide race. Kristen Armstrong, multi-time gold medal Olympian, renowned, famous bike racer, is talking about Mays Winbush. How does it make you feel to know that people that high up in the food chain of our bike racing community are thinking about you already at the age of 14? It makes me feel good. I feel like all the people that I've talked to that is at a higher level than me has taught me patience because outside of the sport of cycling, I feel like some people get famous quicker. It's not that I want to be famous or anything, but it's just teaching me patience because not everybody has to wait a long time before they are recognized nationwide or worldwide. So that that's what it's taught me. Well, welcome to being a human. <laughs> it's an insanely frustrating proposition, but it's the best alternative that we've got where you just have to suffer through, plot along, and rely on the people around you to keep picking you up. So let's talk about the people who are around you. Let's talk about the community of bike racers here in Southern Maryland. What's that community like? Do you have people of your own age that you're training with? Do you have people who are older than you that are showing you the ropes? I ride with people of any age, any experience. I ride with people who are pros, cat twos, cat threes, people who just started riding the bike, period. I ride with another young lady or girl my age, Azara Franklin, and we train together maybe like once or twice a week. And she's on a different team, but basically we started off together. So it would, it, it just makes sense to still stick together. Zyra and you have been competing and working together as teammates and colleagues for, well, since the beginning of, of time for, for your cycling career, right? Correct. You basically trade back and forth. She'll beat you a couple of times. You'll beat her a couple of times. How does it feel to have somebody so close to your age, so equally capable and competent that you can push her and she can push you? I feel like it's good because most people our age don't have the mindset or drive that Azara and I have because I feel like cycling is more of a adult sport and it's not something that kids are dedicate or they would be willing to dedicate their lives to because cycling takes up a lot of our time. You and I have something in common. You don't know this, but, you know, listening to your interview with Kristen, you were asked, you know, when did you get into the sport? And you said the age of seven, right? Right. That's when you first picked up a, a bike and started riding. You basically cajoled your father into, <laughs> into letting you go and do group rides. I started swimming right around the same time, the age of six. And I have no conscious memory of those early years of swimming. 
So I'm going to live vicariously through you for a moment. Talk to us about those early years and the challenges, the frustrations, the joys that you had of accomplishing some very, what now could be considered basic goals. Yeah, when I first started racing, I was nine years old. Just like you, I vaguely remember, but I can remember some. Um, I think in the year 2016, I won my first Marlboro Award. Oh, Marlboro Awards. And I came in first place. And that's I met Azara during the time frame of like 2016, 2017. And we started working together. I basically built her up because I was riding a little longer than her. And from there, we have just been riding together. You created your own competition. Basically, but you know how cycling is a predominantly white sport. And for someone my age and someone of color to be interested in the sport of cycling, it's just an opportunity that you can't miss. When you go to a race, let's say you go to one of the local Mid-Atlantic Bicycle Racing Association races, so a local Marlboro race, what is it like for you walking up to the start line and looking at the, the field of competitors? From my perspective, I feel like when I line up, I get nervous and I feel like most people do get nervous. But like I've always been nervous when I line up, especially with women, because I feel like women, some people take advantage of how small I am and just because I'm a I'm younger than them. So I do get nervous and I have a drive to win. That's about the two feelings that I get. Let's talk about the drive to win because it's unusual. I've come to learn that people don't necessarily, especially people who are in their teenage years, they don't necessarily have that drive to compete all the time or to do what you need to do in order to be able to compete. How do you find drive to go and train when it's cold or to go and train when it's 95 degrees outside or when you just don't want to do it? Well, the most motivation I get is, of course, from my parents. Or another reason I get motivation to win is because I have competition. And if you really want to win, you have to put in work. You just sitting around or not doing anything, just sitting on the couch and riding the bike for three days a week, it's not going to get you winning. Looking broadly, more broadly than just the folks here in Southern Maryland or the folks in Mabra, who are the people that you are modeling yourself after in our bike racing community? I like to look up to Justin and Corey Williams, Aisha McGowan, and it's a, a lot of other people, but just to narrow it down. But Justin and Corey Williams, or Justin, Corey, and Aisha, they're all African-Americans, and I feel like I can relate to them because they've all knocked down barriers and they're still knocking down barriers. Do you ever get to talk to them? I talk to them here and there. What's it like talking to somebody like Justin Williams or Aisha McGowan or even Corey Williams, people who are literally at the top of their game right now doing something that almost nobody has ever done before? 
it feels good to talk to people who are winning because just like my dad has taught me the whole time I've been living, he said, I'm a product of what my what I surround myself with and I take that seriously. So even people my age, I'm vigilant of who I surround myself with. So me talking to winners, I feel like that's giving me that much more encouragement of me winning. Chapter 2, Los Angeles. As a swimmer in my youth, my ambitions always centered around the Olympics. It was two weeks of pageantry, triumph, and spectacle. I had visions of walking out into the Olympic Stadium in Athens, carrying the hopes and dreams of my nation with me. I could hear the roar of the crowd and taste the saltiness of the tears as they rolled down my cheeks when the Star Spangled Banner was played as a gold medal was placed around my neck. There really are few higher honors than to stand up and say, I represent my country. Athens is long in the rearview mirror now, and its stadiums have sadly crumpled. But LA glistens in the bright dawn of the future, and that's where we turn to next. When I first heard this, I actually had to go and look up where the Olympics were going to be in 2028. So the 2028 Olympics is L.A. If you get the opportunity to be a part of Team USA in the United States, in Los Angeles, what would that mean to you? If I was to get that opportunity, it would really mean a lot. It would mean the world because... It, it just would prove to me that all the stuff that I've done from the age of seven all the way till I get to 22, that's the age I'll be at in 2028, that would just prove to me that all the stuff that I've done hasn't gone into the trash or it just wasn't wasted. I can't believe that 2028 seems like so far from now, but you'd still just be 22 years old. How are you guiding yourself to that point right now? Because it is eight years away. When I'm racing, 2028 is on my mind. Like, I'm doing this for 2028 Olympics. Me out here putting out a poor performance will probably cost me. So it, it always stays on my mind. Obviously, one big goal is a big goal. What are the little goals that you've set along the way to help you get to 2028? Obviously, 2020 is a complete mess, you know, with the coronavirus and no more bike racing and things like that. Like, Let's put that out of the way. But for 2021, 2022, what are the goals that you have set for each of these coming years if you've done that already? So my goal or my short-term goal is always to win the national championships. But I think when I get older, like 18 and older, that goal or my short my short-term goal will more than likely change to winning a world race 
But for right now, me winning national championship is my main goal. See, I'm just trying to get top 10. <laughs> <laughs> and by top 10, I'm just talking about top 10 on the Tuesday night training Oh, race. man. You... Clearly, I'm not setting my goals high enough. Who's taught you to do this? Or is this just maze? I think it's a mix of my parents and me because I've always set high standards for me and people. If you don't meet up to my standards, then it's just we're going to go our separate ways. But I think my parents have played a big part in me setting high standards for myself. Have you actually pictured it in your mind, what it would be like to walk out during the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Los Angeles with the rest of your Team USA compatriots? Not really. I stay more focused on what's going on right now more than in the future, but I should probably do that. Let's go back to the age of seven. When did it go from, hey, mom, dad, I want to ride, to I want to race? From what I heard, because it was so long ago, but... From what I heard, my dad knew someone and, oh no, he knew someone that rode and they knew people that raced. And he told, or he asked my dad, have you ever considered Maze racing? So a few days later, my dad was like, Maze, do you want to race? And I was like, sure. From there on, I was racing and now I'm here. Quite literally, does anything phase you? Do you ever get thrown off your game? Because... I've listened to a lot of your interviews. I've, I've, you know, seen you on the news and things like that coming up to or leading up to the Hagerstown National Championships that were held here last year. And you've always got such a great degree of poise, such calm that that really betrays 14 years old. Do you ever get thrown off your game? Not really. I mean, if I get thrown off, it, it it'll probably be once in a blue but not really. I don't get phased by much, really. No. How did you learn that? Because I really think that there's a lot of human beings in this country that need to learn how to, like, just chill out. Yeah. Um, my parents, I think, again, played a big part. I feel like my parents have done great raising me, but they teach me to basically not make other people's problem my problem and basically stay focused on myself. Not to be selfish, but I still care for other people, but I can't be there for someone's issue all the time. So aside from bike racing, you're a student. You're still going to school. You're doing exceptionally well. You're the face of the Maryland Department of Transportation bike safety program. You're highly involved in the community. How do you find time for all of this and still ride your bike at an exceptionally high level. The difference between other kids my age and me, I don't have that much time to be playing outside with people my age or playing outside with my friends or going out with my friends. The time that they spend going out with each other is the time that I use to be doing work. I got to imagine that you're not doing this alone anymore, that there's a full 
Team May's support group. What's that group like? My group or my supporters is basically anyone who knows me, supports what I do, and supports my goals. And basically the people that support me is my parents, of course, my family, my friends, you, anyone who knows me, really. What about your team? Talk about Team 2020. Team 2020 is a great team. I like my team. The pros that's on Team 2020 is amazing. They are just, I don't even know. I can't put it into words. But the people that are on a higher level on Team 2020 have a very high winning drive. And I feel, just like I said earlier, that if I surround myself with those people, that I will one day become one of those people. A high drive. There's world champs on that team. Right. You were surrounding yourself with some incredibly talented athletes. How did you get there? The national championships of 2018, it was held in Hagerstown, Maryland, and Miss Nicola and Miss Mari, they came out to Maryland and watched the national championships. You are familiar with Joe Jefferson. Very familiar with Joe. Great race promoter. Yes, very great. So he connected me with Miss Mari and Miss Nicola, and we had a conversation. We kept in contact, and later in the year, I was switched to that team. What's it like being with these women? Are they encouraging you? Is there communication between you and the professional women, mentorship, guidance? I talked to Miss Nicola maybe about no, I talk to her every week. Miss Mari, she's she's not on Team 2020 no more. Miss um, Kristen took her spot. Talked to Kristen here and there. But I talked to Nicola just about every week. Most, I mean, no, all of the juniors on Team 2020 have a mentor. I talk to my mentor here and there as well. And, yes, they do give encouraging words. Who's your mentor? Shayna Palace. How did you get hooked up with her? I have no idea. They just assigned me with her, and I guess they assigned other juniors with their mentors. Have you ever ridden with Shayna? No. You definitely got her. You rode with her? No, I personally haven't, but I've only heard incredible things mm -hmm. about the entire organization. But I feel like you need to get out there and ride with the people that you're working with. Because, and agree with me if you want to, or disagree with me, I really enjoy it when people do. Do you feel like you get to know somebody better when you ride with them? Yes, because I feel like you get to experience firsthand how they ride, some of their techniques, not their race techniques, but their riding techniques and basically just or just the basics. And after four hours of doing a training ride, you've talked about just about everything. Right. What's your go to training ride conversation? Say you're out with Azira. You guys are just doing a ride here in, in, you know, Charles County. What do you talk about? We talk about anything, really. It, we'll talk about stuff inside of the sport of cycling, stuff outside of the sport of cycling, what we're doing next week. We talk about what training she's doing, what training I'm doing. Sometimes 
she'll do my training. Sometimes I'll do her training. We we talk about anything, really. Before we get into Chapter 3 of today's episode, I want to take a moment and let Scotty D from The Bike Shop CX, a show here on the Wide Angle Podium that he hosts with Mr. David Palin, tell you about what they've got in store. As you know, materials in cyclocross are very important. What do you think, Mr. Svennies? It's uh, very important to have the good material when it's frozen, when it's dry, when it's summer, when it's, uh, when it's wet. Uh, the tires are very important. It's all about technique. It's all about uh, the good material. So we brought the Bike Shop Show back with a cyclocross focus. Same great format, new name, Bike Shop CX. Give it a listen. I think you'll dig it. Each week, Mr. David Palin and I talk about things that go on at our bike shop. We talk about things that go on in the pro cyclocross pit at all the big races around the country. Sometimes we have industry-leading guests on the show. Sometimes it's just the two of us yapping. If you're at all interested in cyclocross, I think you'll like it. The bike shop is open. And now back to our story in Chapter 3, Harlem. Past is prologue, and the efforts you give yesterday determine your today. Last year, Mays ended up in front of probably her largest crowd of spectators yet in Harlem. She went in far over her head, but as she tells it, you can clearly hear that she learned some very valuable lessons from it. She didn't necessarily get knocked down by the experience, but she sure as heck stepped up taller for it. Okay, so I want to take you back to last year, back to 2019, when life seemed, or yeah, 2019. Can't believe it's been a year since then when life seems so much more simple. We ended up together in Harlem, New York for the Harlem Skyscraper Classic. If you haven't done that race before, what's it like, Maze? What's Harlem like? So last year, actually, I did do the race. It's just that there was only, I think, three women, including me, that was doing the women's race for four or five. So they put us in a men's race and I was not mentally prepared or physically prepared for that. So I got an experience of what it probably will be like in a higher category of woman. What category of men did you get saddled with? Four or five. Okay. How many guys were there in the field? It had to have been like 40, 50 men. So after a few laps, they or my dad actually told me to come off because they were riding so fast and he didn't want anything to happen to me. Had you ever raced with 50 people before? No, not not in. Well, no, no, period. No. These are full grown adult men. Right. They're way bigger than you. Yet you were throwing elbows with them just the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you have any fear at all going into that, that like, you know, you were saying sometimes you line up with the women and you're just like, I'm afraid they're going to try to take advantage of my age or my youth. Going into Harlem with guys who are adults, you didn't show any fear. 
Oh, there there was much more fear than um than me racing with females because everyone knows that men are more aggressive. They they have testosterone, so they they race harder. So it yeah, it was a lot of fear in that. Harlem is a square. It's a perfect square, wide open streets, uh, ninety degree corners. It is a very fast race. Right. Yes, it is. And you held with the men until your dad told you back off. No, I held on there for about a lap. It, yeah, it was fast. Does it motivate you to go back and try it again? Probably give it another year. So at the age of 15, you'll go back? To race with men, maybe, yeah. Now, if it was just the women? Yeah, I would race with the women, definitely, yeah. So one of the cool things, and I don't know if you had the time when you were racing, because I I definitely didn't when I raced later in the day, but after you go through corner one, there's a side street, and if you look down the side street, it's a straight shot down to the Chrysler building, an iconic skyscraper in, in Manhattan. What was it like to be able to race your bike on a New York City street in Harlem in front of a huge crowd, people barbecuing, having a great day. I mean, what was that like? It was good because I feel like that was, it It opened up kind of more doors because I actually got an opportunity to do an, a small interview with some people. And since it was a big crowd, more people, or I got more recognition. One of the things that you got to do was you hung around after your race was over to watch the rest of the day. Yes, I did. And it was, I liked it. One of the things that you got to do was watch the men's race at the end with Justin, with Corey, with the guys from Legion. Had you ever seen them race before in person? Yeah, so I have seen them in person before. I didn't know that they were going to be there. I don't know. I just didn't look at the start sheet apparently close enough. And so I was standing there with my wife before the race, ready, warmed up, watching the last couple of races of the women. And then I look across the way and they've got an incredibly distinctive kit. And I was like, okay, there's two Legion guys. I guess I'm getting third. And then I see Justin and the rest of the team. And I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not getting third now. Now fourth or fifth or sixth. What is it like for you to get to watch these guys do what they do at this insanely high level? Me watching them, I feel like, is is inspirational, motivational, and yeah. Did you stick around to the end of the race? Yes, we stayed the whole day. At the end of the race, after they win, after Legion wins, the streets basically empty. Yes. People just poured right into the middle of it, and it was a huge celebration. Yes. I I swear to God, it was going to be a Rudy Rudiger situation where, like, the entire throng of Harlem lifts Justin up on their shoulders and carries him around. Yep. It was crazy. (laughs) You know, seeing a community accept somebody who is one of your heroes and seeing a community from New York City and the guys from L.A., you know, so he came all the way across the country and he's being celebrated by people who maybe have never met him before. Does that motivate you to go out there and to be an even better version of yourself? Yes, it does. 
what are you going to do next year and the year after that to keep pushing yourself into this realm where nobody else has ever gone before to becoming the first, you know, African-American female cycling Olympian? I'm going to have to push myself that much harder, even though I push myself to my limits currently, but I will still have to set high standards like we talked about earlier. High standards, I will have to push myself harder and me surrounding myself with positive people, the right people, winning people, and I feel like I should be good. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a hard question because all the other ones are easy. Us people who have had a few more years in life often get asked to give yourself, the younger version of yourself, a message. What advice could you give? This is what's asked of me. What what advice could you give to the 15 or 20-year-old version of yourself to ensure that your life is easier or better? You are obviously 14 years old. So an older version of Mays will get asked that question. What I want you to do is to give yourself a message for 10 years from now of encouragement about keeping the faith, keeping focused. Just to keep it plain and simple, I think basic message for me 10 years, 15 years from now is to always be a better me. Great, Maze. Thanks so much for being on the show. And we're going to follow you all the way to 2028. Thank you for having me. Chapter 4, Father Knows Best. The parents of athletes must have incredibly difficult jobs. Being a motivator, a disciplinarian, an inspirer, a comforter, and a role model all at once. Helping guide their kids through the bumps and broken bones toward adulthood. Giving them faith to set seemingly unachievable goals and then methodically pushing them towards those same goals. However, one of the hardest jobs must be learning to let go and let others take over. I've known Maze's father, Mark, for the better part of five years. In that time, we've collectively spectated on her progress and how she seemingly effortlessly confronts obstacles. But we're all too sanguine to know that it is ever genuinely effortless. Here is the story from his perspective. This is Mark Wimbush, Maze's dad, as everyone knows. We're in Southern Maryland, White Plains, plenty of open roads, good riding down here. Not racing for anyone. I'm done. <laughs> there, is a, there is a certain level of satisfaction in having reached the pinnacle and then just riding off into the sunset like John Elway. Yeah. I just like to sit back and watch Maze. That, so- that's my job. I'm, I'm the supporting cast now. I've been thinking about this, and there's a a moment in time from last year at Ride Sally Ride, local criterium. I don't even think it counts as having a corner, but, you know, we still go there and we kill it. 
And Mays had ridden and raced earlier that day, and she was hanging out and hanging around for a little while. You were there. I introduced Mays to my mother-in-law, Crossy Hinkle, who's the owner of Properties on the Potomac, which was a sponsor of Mabra and a sponsor of the Road Cup. Mays had like lost focus for a hot second. My mother-in-law asked her a question, and she responded by saying, yeah. And it was just like a one word, like, yeah. You looked at her, and she understood clearly that yeah was not a sufficient answer. And she turned it on. She turned it on instantly and became a responsive teenage adult. What's it like raising maize? Uh, It's been an awesome experience. Wouldn't trade it for the world. She's a great kid. But I remember that situation that day. And Maze was being a kid, lost focus. And yeah is not an answer, acceptable answer when speaking with an adult. So, you know, she, she was being a child, but she corrected it quickly. And she corrected it because that's what you and your wife and the community here has helped her learn how to do. Yes. Um, I'm big on accountability. Teach her to be accountable for her actions and be respectful at all times. You know, how you talk to your friends is not necessarily how you speak with adults. And she's learned how to speak with adults because she's been doing interviews left and right. She's talking to multi-time Olympians about her future. And she's doing it with such an air of adulthood that you almost forget that she's 14 years old. (laughs) Do you ever think that she would have gotten this far? Had no idea. Had no idea. She just wanted to ride. Got her a road bike. She learned how to work the gears. And uh, once she started racing, it's been history. Does she know how to do the mechanic stuff too? She's learning. She's She can change her tire. And she does the basic stuff. You know, taking the wheel off, swapping wheels out. You know, put the bike on the trainer things of that nature. So the basic stuff she has, she has it down. Now we're going to have to get her on some SRAM access soon, right? Yep. Absolutely. And then we'll move up to the next level of, of the sport where you start to really dork out about how grippy your tires are and, you know, is 28 millimeter or 25 millimeter the way to go. Right. Does she embrace that part of the sport? Yes, she does. She's, uh, she's getting a lot better with it. And she, you know, she has a preference with the 25 or 23s or 28s. And um, she rides 28s right now. She's dialed in and learning the tech. Where is she getting that from? Is that coming from you? Some comes from me. Some of it comes from Bike Doctor Waldorf. And just through her own experiences. And she seems to learn and, and, and find out more and more about her bike as time goes on. She becomes more familiar with it and becomes one with her bike. So she's learning a lot through her own experience and trials. The first time I recall actually seeing you and your wife was at a Mabra Night Awards ceremony. You guys showed up there in these bright fluorescent (laughs) yellow t-shirts that said what team maze or something to that effect yes yeah i was the president of the of the racing association at the time and i saw you guys come in and i'm like what is going on here 
You know, who who are these people? What are these yellow shirts all about? And it's been several years, obviously, since then, and we've gotten to know each other. Yes, sir. In that time, how have you been able to guide her through the process? Because starting out at seven years old, even starting racing at nine, when she got this award, she was 11. There's a lot of ground to cover between 11 and 14. How are you and your wife pushing her through this process and making sure that she's safe, that she is doing things that are smart and not putting herself in risk and making sure that she continues to do her homework and be a good student and all these other things? Well, first of all, school is number one. So if things aren't right in school, she can't come out and compete. It's been a pretty seamless process because she has a love for the sport. And with her love for the sport, it forces her to do the things that she needs to do so that she can go out and compete and do the things that she likes to do. With her being a child, it's just like any other child. None of them are perfect. Um, We had one situation. I want to say it was Ride Sally Ride a couple years ago. She didn't race. She felt that she didn't need to train. And I always tell her, if you if you can't train, you can't race. Because you're a hazard to yourself and you're a hazard to everyone that's around you when you're out there on that course. You open yourself up to injury and a lot of other things. So, you know, if you if you can't train, you can't race. It I think it's just teaching them the wrong thing. If I, I teaching her the wrong thing if I allow her to go out and race without training. And she's learned that. And I think it's important that we establish a solid foundation if she wants to continue. You know, she says, hey, I have a goal to do this. I have a goal to do that. Okay, well, how are we going to get there? So if you're not going to prepare to achieve and accomplish those goals, then you're not going to accomplish them anyway. So we're going to nip that in the bud. But overall, it's been a seamless process for the most part. Obviously, her goal is the Olympics in 2028. But there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then. You know, there are intermediary goals or intermediary accomplishments that she needs to make. You know, getting her from here to racing in Harlem or racing in Hagerstown at the national championships. You know, these are necessary steps. Obviously, she wants L.A. in 2028. You know, as a mentor, as her dad, as her parent, you are guiding her to, okay, keep that goal there, but we got to step here, we got to step there, we got to step there. How are you teaching her to set these intermediate goals? Right now, you know, uh, her short-term goal, intermediate goal, is she has her eye on the national championship. Further on down the line, like, you know, she's doing something and she's, she's embarking on territory that... I myself have never embarked on uh, as far as pursuing the Olympics or a UCI race or whatever have you. Those are things that I have never embarked on. So we put a lot of trust in her team 2020 to be able to provide that guidance and the, uh, the foresight for her to see and be able to know what what what's next. Um, and her team has been pretty good with those things. And as of most recent, you know, just Mays just 
being ambitious. Hey, I want to go to 2024 Olympics. Well, the team said, no, 2024 is not for you. It would be 2028 if you want to pursue that. And then they gave her some more insight and what to expect along the way. Those are the things that, yes, I'm, I'm the dad, mentor, coach at times, but, uh, you know, it's much bigger than me. And I think one of the best things that I've done to prepare her was allowing her to go be with another team, go allow her to be coached because there's only so far, so much I can do or take you so far. So I think one of the qualities of a good coach is knowing when to pass them on to the next coach. I'm starting to realize the the challenges that my own parents must have faced when I was growing up. I can only imagine, Rob. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but just every generation succeeds the generation before them. They arrive at benchmarks sooner. They do math problems that you would never contemplate at a much earlier age. I like If, if I had a kid and he came to me and was like, Dad, I, I don't know how to do algebra. I'd be like, oof. Ask your mom, how do you comfortably cede control to other people who are more expert than you for your daughter's own benefit? How do you allow other people to come along and say, okay, Mark, we need to step back. You need to step back. You need to let us take over here. Watch where we take. You have to trust the process. Trust the process. Get to know the people that you're surrounded with and allow them to step in. That is, I have no problem with stepping aside. Take my pride, my ego out of it. Between my wife and I, I would say that we're Maze's biggest supporters. I make ultimate sacrifices for her to be able to do the things that she does. So I, I have no problem with passing her on, you know, along that journey to greatness. She could be good now, but if you want to be great, then we all have to realize when it's time to move on. And I accept that. Do you think she understands the level of sacrifice that you guys have made for her to be where she is? I think she understands it. If she doesn't understand it, she expresses it very well. She just told me two days ago, you're, you're a great dad. Thank you. And she says it consistently to my wife and I both, as, as far as us being the parents that we are. We're not perfect, but she understands we make ultimate sacrifices. You know, whether it's getting up at three o'clock in the morning because we're driving four hours to a race or spending extra money to get your bike together, to, you know, to travel or whatever have you. My wife and I both make uh, ultimate sacrifices to ensure that, she succeeds. I don't think there'll ever be a time as, as she gets older and comes into womanhood and become an adult. I don't think she'll ever be in a position where she could say, well, I could have done this if my parents would have given me the opportunity. She can never point the finger at us. We've, we've put her in position and give her the right tools and whatever she wants to do, the sky's the limit. We don't put any limits on what she wants to do. If she says she wants to do it, do it. Go do it. We support you. Have you ever actually thought about it? Her accomplishing her goal? 
Have you ever pictured it in your mind, being there in the stands in L.A. when she comes out with the rest of Team USA in 2028? Yes, I have. And to be honest, it gives me goosebumps. (laughs) I watched her and Azira training a couple of weeks ago, and they were doing a workout, and we were on a group, we were riding in a group, and Azira and Maze, they, they just took off. But it gave me goosebumps just to see these two young ladies of color, I might add, just to see how they've progressed over the past, what, six years that they've been, or five years that they've been racing together. And, and I just just love what, what I see. I love the support from the community, the bike, the whole Marlboro community, you know, so it's, it's been it's been a blessing. Have you gotten to know Azira's dad, Sir Cullen? Yes, Sir Colin and I have uh, become good friends. We're like a family. That's the thing, like, about bike racing. It brings people together that would not necessarily be together. And now you've made this friend whose daughter is going through the exact same thing that your daughter is going through. Do you guys lean on each other? Absolutely. We talk frequently. We uh, share information with each other. Get the girls together. They can train together. It's uh, friendly competition. And ultimately, and you may have seen it before on, you know, social media, we uh, refer to Maze and Azira as heart and soul. It's still that way. No matter what team they ride for, it's still heart and soul. They look at each other like sisters out there. Going back to this goal, this is an incredibly lofty goal. It is in the neighborhood of unprecedented. There is a lot of great athletes who have tried and failed at achieving this same goal. And I don't want to go down the analogy route because it kind of sounds lazy, but I feel like we have to. We have to go down the analogy route and compare Mays to the great African-American athletes that have come before her to talk about Jesse Owens, to talk about Jackie Robinson, to talk about Muhammad Ali, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Flojo, Simone Biles these athletes who have done what the community around them thought was the impossible, when really it is 100% possible. Just be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be, and if you've got the talent and drive to do it, you're going to do it. But for some odd reason, we call it impossible because their skin was a different color than the skin of the other people around them. Is it fair to put that level of burden on someone like Mays, on a 14-year-old girl? I wouldn't necessarily put the burden on her. Like you said, some people think it's impossible. But when you look at some of the, um, some of these black athletes that have grown from being good to great, to breaking records and doing things in a sport that has never been done before, when you see that, and I would use Simone Biles as an example, I think they just named a, a, one of her moves after her now that she did. Um, I forgot the name of I mean, I forgot how it went, but they, they named this move after her. She, she, she broke ground. You know, she, she broke through a barrier and changed the sport. And I think Maze, Azira, some other young ladies out there, they have the same opportunities, and I don't really think, I wouldn't say that it's a burden on them. 
I would say that it's it's an honor for people to even think that highly of you. You know, it's one thing to think that high of yourself, but I think it's an honor to have someone else think that high of you and to jump on board and support and push you to achieve greatness, to be able to break down another barrier. You know, we look at like one person that Mays idolizes is Aisha McGowan. When we first met her and the first time that we spoke with her and she was on this mission to become the first African-American female pro road cyclist, and she's achieved that goal, which I think is outstanding. It's a pleasure to be able to to see someone like that, to be able to speak to someone like that, because they have a wealth of knowledge. They can share some things with Mays that Mays may not know about the sport. I don't really look at it as a burden. I look at it as placed with a great opportunity and a great honor to even pursue that goal. Is she up to that challenge? I believe she's up to the challenge. And she's surrounded by the right people. Are you up to the challenge of helping her get there? Absolutely, without a doubt. Do you think that there will ever be a time in her lifetime that we don't have to have a conversation like that? We don't have to have a conversation about the color of your skin and the level of accomplishment. And it's just about you're a great athlete. Well, hopefully we get to that point one day, but I think we, we're we're far from that. Every time we think we're a little closer, it seems that it's always something to remind us how far we have not come, you know, as a, as a race. It, it seems like it's always something to take us back, to remind us, you know, oh, oh well, you thought you were here, but no, not really. You're not there yet. You know, just as much as the recent events with George Floyd and and other things going on in the world, you know, it's unfortunate, but it seems like we're making some progress now, but we still have a long way to go. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show and letting us talk to Mays. Hey, thanks for having us, Rob. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on another episode of No Training Wheels. We're a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. For more information and links to the other incredible shows on the network, go to WideAnglePodium.com. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. For more content, follow us on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod. And your home for the best in American criterium racing is notrainingwheelspod.com. Join us here next time for more from our Criterium Nation.